mistake that I am but a vessel of the King, that I will declare the oracles of God with boldness and with clarity. Father, I thank you this morning for understanding by your Holy Spirit, illumination of the scriptures. Father, we thank you that we will not walk out of here the same way that we came in. Open our eyes, open our ears, that we may receive the truth that is spoken today. And Father, we thank you for what you're doing in and through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's good to see you this morning. It's good to be with you. Glory to God. Y'all doing all right today? Amen, amen, amen. Go with me to uh, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. This morning we are, last week we began a new series called Immovable. Immovable. We're talking about a kingdom that cannot be shaken. A kingdom that cannot be shaken. We're talking about uh, the world that we see today, the things that are happening in the world today. But what is the role of the church? What is the church supposed to be doing about it? Uh, what, what, you know, as we see the demise and we see the destruction that's taking place in the world, I believe that there is an importance for the church to understand its role and its value in the earth today. And so uh, last week we began this series and we began with understanding that there is a need for righteousness. Real quiet on that one, but that's okay. You'll get it here in a minute. There's a need for righteousness. And I'm not just talking about in the world. I'm talking about in the church. There's a need for righteousness in the church. There's too much sin going on in the church. And there's too much sin that's unaccounted for uh, in the church. There needs, a, there needs to be a level of accountability higher than there ever has been. Okay? I'm, I'm not disregarding the fact that, you know, we're all mortal and we're all in this earth and, and we live in the flesh and we can give in to temptation and, and, and those things. But there is a need for a righteous church. And, and I'm just going to go ahead and let you know. I'm going to remind you, for those of you that weren't here last week, Jesus is coming back for a righteous church. So if you think just because you go to church and you pray and you open your Bible every now and then and you think you said a prayer back one day that you're going to make it to heaven, that's just not the truth. The Bible is very clear that there will be a very, a very big surprise on that day of how many people don't make it. And so there's a need. There's some conviction that ought to rise up within us that says, I want to be a part of the remnant. I want to be a part of the glorified church. Ephesians tells us that Jesus is coming back for a glorified church, a holy church. Not a church that's running around doing whatever it wants to do. Not a church that's saying, we've got to look like the world so we can draw the world. It's coming back for a church that is going to be very identifiably different than the world. That's what we're looking at. If you're going to change the world, you can't look like the world. That's just the bottom line. And so we got to talk about how are we going to stand our place? How are we going to stand our ground in the last days? If you think persecution is new, you, you don't know your Bible. Opposition is nothing new to God. He's been dealing with opposition since Genesis 3, since the garden, since this thing began. He's always had an enemy. He's always had someone that's tried to stop him. He's always had someone that's tried to thwart the plan uh, uh, that he's had for mankind and that he's had for this world. He's always had somebody in the earth that has opposed his work. That's nothing new. 
And if you think that the church is going to get drowned out uh, by the, the destruction that we're seeing in the earth today, you don't understand that the church was born in the midst of the greatest persecution it's ever encountered. And the church thrived in the midst. Thrived. Not almost got squashed out. I'm talking it overcame. I'm talking it expanded and it advanced the kingdom in the midst of heavy persecution. And so this is not a time to be fearful. Church, this is not a time to back down. This is not a a, a time to look at the destruction and look at the things that are happening in the world and say, man, Jesus, just hurry up and come. I'm thankful that I'm not going to have to be here for a lot of the tribulation that's going to take place. How about you? We ought to be able to rejoice in those things. And none of this is to, to scare you. None of this is to put you in fear. None of this is, is to light a fire up under you in one sense that, that says, I, I need to get things right because I'm scared of what's going to happen to me. You need to get things right because you love God. We need a church that loves God more than the world. We need a church that loves the things of the kingdom more than it does the things of the world. We need a church that's going to operate in the fruits of the Spirit and love and joy and peace and patience. I'm tired of seeing impatient Christians. I'm tired of seeing angry, hateful Christians. Anybody else? The world's got enough hatred to go around. We don't need Christians that are still acting like that. We don't need Christians that are impatient. We don't need Christians that don't have any self-control. We look at whatever we want to look at and we listen to whatever we want to listen to and we do whatever we want to do. And we say whatever we want to say. If you are a Christian and you say the first thing that comes off of your mind and comes out of your head and comes off of your tongue, you need to get right. There's a need for the church to get things right today. Is anybody in agreement with me or are we all ready to go home already? All right. So we got to get ourselves right. Anytime you want to change something around you, you've got to look inside you first. Anytime. Every time. God gives, don't, don't look at the speck in your brother's eye until you've taken care of the log in your eye. So if you want to impact the world around you and you're praying for your coworkers and you're praying for your neighbors, you are the very light that God has sent to them to change them. So are you being the light? That's the question. Don't expect Jesus to do something without you because he's not going to do it. Don't expect God to do something without using you. Because he will not do it. That's why you're there. So we got to be righteous. We've got to be a righteous church. Let's get rid of this sin issue. Let's stop sinning. And let's start living for God. Amen. Okay. Well, I'm not going to re-preach last week's message. But if you missed it, I would highly encourage you to go on and get it. It's a very hard message. Very tough message. I know it wasn't very pastory of me. But I'm here, I'll love you, I'll give you a big hug, and give you a big pat on the back too. We're here to encourage you. But, you, you know, the, the thing is, is there's not enough hatred for sin. And we made this statement, we made this statement last week, if you don't see sin the way God sees sin, then you will not see people the way God sees people. Does that make sense? If we don't see sin the way God sees sin, see, God sees sin as bondage. God sees sin as something that's holding people back. God sees sin as something that restricts and constrains people. And so if you want to love the person without taking care of their sin, you're not dealing with the very issue that's holding them back. 
Yes, we need to love people, and yes, we need to speak the truth in love. But let's, re- let, let's not try to redefine love. Let's define love according to God's standards. Love corrects. Love will say, hey, I love you so much, I don't want to see you continuing to do that thing. I love you so much that I don't want you continue to be bound in the sin that's holding you back. So let's quit doing that. See, the world thinks that the only way you can love is if you don't bring up my stuff. But God says, if I don't bring up your stuff, I can't help you. I can't change you. And so we have to deal with the sin issue. So Romans, Romans chapter 8, the title of my message this morning is Shakers and Movers. Shakers and Movers. Do we have any shakers and movers in the house? We got anybody that want to shake some things up? Because that's what the kingdom does. The kingdom is designed to shake things up. In fact, we're going to find out today that the world is waiting for us to shake things up. In Romans chapter 8, verse 14, Romans 8, verse 14 says this, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. You cannot call yourself a child of God if you don't do what God says. It's not because you're a child of God, you do what God says. It's because you do what God says, you are a child of God. See, we've tried to flip that thing around. I'm a child of God, so that means I obey. No, you obey. Therefore, that defines you as a child of God, child of the king. Why would you want to do what the, what the enemy tells you to do? Why would you want to live according to the world standard when you've been brought out of that? Colossians tells us uh, that we have been brought out of darkness into light. I've been brought out of darkness. Why do I want to still keep living like darkness? Why do I want to still keep talking like darkness? Why do I want to still keep thinking like darkness and reacting and responding like darkness? No, I want to reveal the light that is within me now. I'm in a new family. I'm a child of God. Therefore, I do what God says. He says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Of God. Is anybody thankful to be a child of God this morning? Now, to be a child, there's two ways that you can become a child. Number one is being born. Being born into the family. You are a child of that family. You, when, when, when you have a child, they are from you. They are of you. You are their source. That means you supply everything to them. Everything that they do, everything they get is from you. That's why they, a lot of times, have the same eye color and same hair color and same type of hair and and same facial features. And they look like their parents. They look like who they came from. But there's another way you can be a child, and that is called adoption. It's called adoption. And that's actually a little bit cooler in the sense 
that you've been chosen, you've been picked. See, when you had a child, I mean, you had the child. You stuck with him. <laughs> you stuck with him. I brought you in this world. I can take you out. But when you're adopted, you've been handpicked. You've been chosen. I mean, you know, we've been chosen. We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Chosen by God for a specific word. And so he uses the word here, adoption. We are in the kingdom, and not just in the kingdom, but in the king's family. I mean, let's just read it for what it is. You are royalty. You are royalty. You've been chosen by God for a specific assignment. You have been brought into the family because there's something that God wants you to do. Now, when you've brought into the family... You've been brought out of something and brought into something. We've been brought out of the world and brought into the king's family. We are royalty. Look at your neighbor and say, you're royalty. Go ahead and tell him. Look at the other neighbor and say, you're royalty. You're sitting next to greatness this morning. You're sitting next to absolute greatness this morning, this room is filled with greatness. This room is filled with sons and daughters of the king. That's why we can pray for sickness and disease and it has to go because you're in the family of the king. What right does sickness and disease have in the body of a son or daughter of the king that has paid the price for sickness and disease? That's taking care of it all. Get me riled up already. Don't make me lose my voice before I even get to my second verse. Y'all settle down. We are children in the kingdom of God. That ought to excite you that we're in the king's family. But now that means that we've got to learn a, a way of doing things. That means we've got to learn a way of doing things. That's called culture. That's called culture. And every country, every nation has a culture. In its nation. I mean, we, we have a culture here in, in, in the United States, and they call the United States the melting pot because there's so many cultures here. I mean, you can go to San Francisco or New York, and you can find Chinatown. It's a little town where they keep their culture, and they keep their way of doing things, and they eat their foods, and they talk the way they talk, and they do things. But, I mean, if you go around the world and you go from country to country, you're going to find different cultures. And so we've got to understand that coming into the family of the king means that we've got to learn a new way of doing things. Because the world has a way of doing things. And so when we're talking about immovable, we're talking about the church in the last days. There is a need today more than ever for the church to learn the way of the kingdom. And there is too much integration going on, if I can use that word. There, there, there's too much of the world being allowed to be introduced into the kingdom. Now, I'm not talking about the way we do our church services. I'm not talking about uh, colors, and I'm not talking about paint, and I'm not talking about lights, and I'm not talking about videos and, and production. Now, I'm talking about something way deeper than that. I'm talking about the fact that the church can't decide its stance on homosexuality. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the church isn't able to identify sin for sin. 
and righteousness for righteousness. I'm talking about the church not being able to rightly define the word love according to the word and not allowing the world's definition. See, the world corrupts, the world decays, and the world breaks down and perverts everything that God has in place. That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to come in and he wants to twist. He wants to twist what God has already put in place. You realize that the devil couldn't speak up until God gave a command. Because the only thing the devil is able to do, the only thing the devil is capable of doing is twisting what God says. So he had to wait for God to say, do not eat of that tree. And then he could come in and say, hey, did God say you couldn't eat of that tree? Well, let me tell you something. If you eat of that tree, you will not surely die. See, you can't tell a lie until the truth is spoken. And there, in every lie, is embedded truth. You just have to be willing to dig down deep enough to find the truth in the midst of the lie. And so the world is full of lies. The world wants to twist what a marriage looks like. The world wants to twist what a family looks like. My wife was telling me last night that in kindergarten, kindergarten, five-year-olds, we're already starting to teach them things about what the family structure could possibly look like. And yet we have a hard time getting children's workers in for children's church. The devil has no problem communicating to children. That's why I value what happens on the other side of that wall. There should never be a lack. There should never be a lack of people that want to go over there and thwart the enemy's plan and teach them the word of God and teach them lies. Who has children in here? You ought to value the teaching of the word over here over their schooling. They wouldn't miss a day of school, but are you bringing them to church on a regular basis? You'll take them to school and they'll have perfect attendance and honor roll and all that silly stuff. And they're hearing nonsense from the world. And yet we have a hard time waking them up. Well, it's Sunday. I don't want to disturb them. You know, they need their rest. No, they need the word of the king. They need life. Because all they're hearing out there is death, death, death. And the enemy knows how to get it to them. Don't make excuses for getting your children to church. Place a demand. And we make it fun here, by the way. We do fun stuff with them. It's not boring over there. It's not boring over there. We're always tweaking and looking at how can we develop things. What are things we can implement? And, yeah, we want it to operate at a higher level than it's at today. But I can tell you right now, what they're hearing over there is far more valuable than what they're seeing on TV. You need to be careful what your kids see and look at. Because the enemy is tricky. It doesn't say he just comes right out and says, hey, I'm the big bad devil. Do what I'm saying. Do what I'm doing. No, he's subtle. He was the trickiest, most cunning animal in the garden. Tricky. Deceptive. That means you usually don't recognize what he's doing until you're already doing it yourself. Deceiving. And so the better we know the truth, the better we can identify a lie. 
See, if we don't ever take time to discover truth, then you won't identify the lie. You won't see the lies that are in the world. You won't see uh, what you'll accept what they're saying is truth because you don't know the truth yourself. You don't know what God says about it. But God is truth and his word is truth. And so if you want to know what they're lying about, then you have to know the word of God. That's the only way you'll discover it. And so there, 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 there's, we, we have to create a separation from the church and the world. We've got to separate. We've got to consecrate ourselves. Uh, Jesus said this in John chapter 17. John chapter 17. We're going to look at it in the New King James. Just to let you know, we are on version this morning. If you have your iPads or your iPhones or whatever, uh, you know, you can grab your smart device, go into the version Bible app. You can follow along because we're going to use a few different translations. Uh, you can find the verses. You can find notes and, and those type of things and and, and help you out. John chapter 17, verse 14. We're going to read 14 through 16 in the New King James. And he says this, I have given them your word. I've given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Why? Because you've been born of and you've been adopted into the family of God. That means the family of God is your source now. They are not of the world. Of means source. That means they didn't come from the world. They didn't come from the world. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. Why are we praying something different than Jesus? Why are we praying, Jesus, take me out of here? And he's saying, I'm not praying that you take them out of there. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Sounds a lot like Adam and Eve, right? Sounds a lot like Adam and Eve. Sounds a lot like they're in the world, but not of the world. And I'm not praying that you take them out of the world. I'm praying that you keep them from the evil one, from the snake, from the tricky one. Verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Let's look at this in the Amplified, starting with verse 14. It says, I have given... And delivered to them your word, your message, and the world has hated them. Because they are not of the world, do not belong to the world. Just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you will take them out of the world, but that you will keep them, keep and protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, worldly, belonging to the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them. Purify, consecrate, separate them for yourself, make them holy by your what? Truth. It's the word that separates us. It's the word that makes us right. It's the word that defines a holy lifestyle. We don't look at the world and say, I don't want to do that. We look at the word and say, I want to do that. That's what defines us. That's what separates us. And he says here that because you're not of the world, the world will hate you. I think there's a lot of Christians and a lot of churches that want to be accepted by the world. They're more concerned with them being accepted by the world than the world accepting their word. 
And he says right here that just because you are not of the world, that gives them all the right to hate you. And they will hate you. Are we raising up a church today that doesn't want to be hated by the world? Are we raising up a church today that's afraid of what the world is going to say? I hope not. Sanctify them, purify, consecrate, separate them for yourself. Make them holy by your truth. Your word is truth. And just as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. That means you and I have been sent here on the same agenda and with the same mandate that Jesus was sent with. What's that? To bring the kingdom of God to the earth today. We just sang a song, Your Kingdom Come. Your will be done. Everything changes. Everything changes when your kingdom comes. I mean, the church shouldn't look any further than Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to be able to identify what its role in the earth today is. You shouldn't have to look any further than the life of Jesus and understand what are we supposed to be doing. It's amazing how we get so confused about one man. It's amazing how we get so confused about one book. The enemy is the author of confusion. If the enemy can hide the purpose of the church from you, then you become unproductive and ineffective for the kingdom of God. It's the bottom line. And he's done a good job of covering up what you and I are supposed to be doing in the earth. He's got Christians on their hands and knees praying for Jesus to hurry up and come back. He has Christians uh, locked inside their churches just having their little celebrations and not affecting anything around them. He has Christians uh, scared and afraid of what the world is going to do to them in the midst of persecution and operation. He's got Christians beginning to compromise principles from the word of God for the sake of not opposing the world. You are in opposition to the world Own it. There is nothing about the world that we should desire. There is nothing about the world that we should want to be like. There is nothing of the world that should be attractive to us. There should be and ought to be a separation. Look at uh, John chapter 15. Go back a couple chapters. Jesus speaks... More on this. John chapter 15, verse 8. I'm going to read it in the New King James. It says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. you know, apparently, Jesus didn't have a problem with being hated. Don't hate. If you were of the world, the world would love you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet, Because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You realize the world hates what it can't understand. The world hates what it doesn't understand. Apparently, being loved by the world is not the main goal of the church. Loving the world is the main goal of the church. For God so loved the world. Can you love the very thing that hates you? God did. He sent his son knowing that they would hate his son. 
yet his son was the very thing that he used to identify, I love you. I think that's the question this morning. Are we going to love the world even though they hate us? Are we going to love the world even though we're, we have no guarantee that they'll accept our message and accept what we preach and accept what we do? It's the question. He goes on, verse 20, remember the world, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among, the, among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. They hated me without a cause. Look at this in the message. It says, if you find the godless world is hating you, remember it got its start hating me. If you lived on the world's terms, the world would love you as one of its own. But since I picked you to live on God's terms and no longer on the world's terms, the world is going to hate you. When that happens, remember this. Servants don't get better treatment than their masters. If they beat on me, they will certainly beat on you. If they did what I told them, they will do what you tell them. They are going to do all these things to you because of the way they treated me, because they don't know the one who sent me. If I hadn't come and told them all this in plain language, it wouldn't be so bad. As it is, they have no excuse. Hate me, hate my father, it's all the same. If I hadn't done what I have done among them, works no one uh, has ever done, they wouldn't be to blame. But they saw the God signs and hated anyway, both me and my father. Interesting, they have verified the truth of their own scriptures, which uh, where it is written, they hated me for no good reason. Hatred, opposition, persecution against the church comes because of what we stand for. You will be hated for standing on the word. You will be hated for abiding by truth and not giving in and not compromising to appease and please the world. You'll be hated. There will be opposition. But in the midst of all that, we're still commanded to love the world. In the midst of all that, we're still commanded to love people. We talked about it last week. Why, why do we have such a hard time loving people and hating the sin? I mean, we say that all the time, right? Isn't that our, our little magic statement? Love the person, hate the sin. But yet, do we do that? Are we compromising on the sin because we want to love the person, or are we hating the person because we hate the sin? I think there's a need for the church today to develop the ability within themselves to love the person and hate the sin. Jesus did. Jesus did. Well, Jesus hung out with sinners. I mean, he'd go over to their houses and he, you know, he'd 
he'd eat with them and drink with them and, and do all that stuff. But yet, do you ever see one time where Jesus compromised who he was for the sake of being with the sinner? I mean, he, he helps a woman that's caught in the act of adultery. And according to their law, she ought to be stoned. And so he stops and he says, anyone that has not sinned, you cast the first stone. You cast the first stone. But then what does he say to the woman? Everything's okay. I love you anyways in spite of your sin. No, he doesn't say that. He says, go and... You realize he hadn't died on the cross yet? You realize he hadn't even given her the ability to go and sin no more. And yet he's still saying, go and sin no more. Quit sinning. The sin is getting you in trouble. Now, I love you and I have compassion for you. But let's quit sinning. We've got to identify this as a church. The church has to take a stance against sin. If we're going to be immovable, if we're going to be a kingdom that cannot be shaken in these last days, we have to be a people that have a stance against sin. We've got to be known as that. We've got to be known for that. Go over to Romans chapter 8. Back over there. We just read out of there. Now I'm going to show you why you've been brought into the kingdom. I'm going to show you why you have been brought into the family. I'm going to show you why you are a son of God. While you're turning there, I'm going to change out my battery. Everybody say, thank you, Zachary. All right. Aren't we thankful? Got to have batteries. Not for you, because you could hear me without this, but if you want to listen to this again this later this week, you're going to need me to hold this thing. So swap out some batteries. Look at this. Let, 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 me, let me pop back up so we can remind ourselves of verse 14. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. That means that there is a need today for children of God to live according to what the king says. If we're in the king's family, we do what the king says. We're led by the Spirit. We're not led by our flesh. We're not led by the world. We're not, we're not led by the enemy. We are led by the Spirit of God. Now go down to verse 18. For I consider that the, suf- the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. In us. You realize that there is something that God wants to reveal through you. See, this whole thing is not about us. It's about what God wants to do through us. Living righteous is not to puff me up and to give me pride and say, hey, look at me, you need to be like me. No, it's you need to be like God. He said, be holy for I am holy. We are supposed to be shining light 
in the midst of darkness. Movers and shakers. That's what you and I are in the earth today. And so he says, these sufferings, this persecution that's coming against me that we just read about, that Jesus said will come, they will persecute you, you will come against opposition. He says, all of that is worth it because of the glory that's going to be revealed in me. Are you seeing this now? Verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. You didn't, you didn't know that, did you? You didn't know that all of the earth is waiting for the revealing of men and women that will be led by the Spirit. That's what this verse tells us. All of creation is eagerly waiting, eagerly expecting the revelation of the sons of God. Those that live according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. The world is waiting for you, church. The world is waiting as much as they oppose, as much as they hate, and as much as they persecute us. They need us and they want us in the earth today because we have the answer. So why are we, the church, shying away from being led by the Spirit? Why are we, the church, having such a struggle defining right from wrong? Why are we, as the church, keeping our light hidden in the midst of darkness when the world is waiting for us and eagerly expecting us, the sons of God? Remember, a son of God is one that is led by the Spirit. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. The world wants to be like us and they don't even know it. The world is held in bondage. The world is held under a curse because of what Adam and Eve did. But you and I are in the earth to release them from the curse. To release them from their bondage. They want to be like us, yet they persecute us. So persecution is nothing. Persecution is not to push us back, is not to get us to shy away, and is not to get us to compromise what we believe. It is to keep us in a position where we stand for what is right because those that are led by the Spirit of God are the ones that are going to lead the children of the world out and bring them into the light. There's a need for the church. Today, watch this in verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. When you think of expecting, for those of you that have given birth, you, you, you may think about when you are expecting a child. Expecting a child. And you know, you know that what you're expecting is great, but you know that you've got to endure through some things, right? 
And as the time draws closer, the opposition gets stronger. And there's groanings and moanings and there's pain and it's called labor. Why? Because you're trying to push something out of you. And the closer we get, the more it increases. The louder the groanings get, the louder the moanings get, the stronger the pain gets. But it's because we're trying to push out life. And the world is groaning today. The world is moaning today. The world is in pain today. And the stronger it gets and the louder it gets, that just means we're getting that much closer to the revelation of the children of God. Don't let it scare you. Don't let it scare you. Don't let it push you away. Don't let it put you in a position of withdrawing and say, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do this. Just realize that the closer we get to us being revealed as the children of God and to being able to set this world free, the harder it's going to get. All the stuff we read about in the news, all the stuff we hear about, all the, the things that are happening within our nation and around the world, those are the groanings. All the tsunamis, all the hurricanes, all the earthquakes, that's the world groaning and moaning because it's an eager expectation of the revelation of the children of God. The world is simply just trying to give birth to you and I. That's what he says right here. The world is trying to give birth. Verse 23, not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does it, does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance, with endurance, striving on. That means we don't withdraw. We don't pull back. But we continue to stand for kingdom principles. We continue to stand for what's right. Even against all opposition, even against all persecution, the world is groaning and moaning, but it is in eager expectation of the sons of God to reveal those that will live according to the kingdom and not bend, not compromise. The world is subjected to fertility because we are the ones that have the answers. I want to read this to you out of a book that I was reading. It says this, in the early centuries of the Christian church, the church experienced explosive growth. But this wasn't an enlightened age for believers. They suffered incredible torture at the hands of the Roman Empire. Christians were drawn and quartered, put on stakes, 
set on fire, torn to pieces by wild animals, tortured with holes bored into their heads in which hot lead was poured in. And then they experienced the devastating effects of two massive, ple- uh, two massive plagues. But through it all, people saw something they'd never seen before. Hope, faith, and love. And millions were drawn to Christ. Could the persecution of the church and could the opposition that we're seeing today be the very catalyst that blows this thing open? Be the very thing that reveals the church to the world and brings people into the kingdom of God. Jesus said, the world will hate me. And there will be an increase of it. But the increase only tells us that we're getting that much closer. The increase only shows us that we are getting that much closer. I want to read to you an email that I just received this past week. This email is from a man named Doug Jones. Uh, he is over the Rama Ministerial Association. I'm a Rama graduate. This is a Rama church. And so uh, he is our head director for all Rama churches around the world. And he sent this email to us pastors. And I wanted to read this to you. Because I want you to see the increase of the destruction that we're seeing in the world today. He says, I normally do not say much about the deterioration of humanity's values within our world. As Christians, we have been forewarned about such things in Romans chapter 1. So I'm never surprised at what seems to be the next boundary breach of moral decline within today's world. We are also instructed, instructed by Paul that in spite of how deep the world sinks, we are to continue in the things which we have learned. And Paul says this in 2 Timothy chapter 3. However, I must admit that I am taken back at the speed of cultural change within today's society. In the last decade, the speed of change from what used to be unmentionable to becoming acceptable is mind-boggling, especially when compared to the speed of cultural change of like things during my parents' and grandparents' lifetime. How many of you believe that there has been an escalation of moral decay? I mean, it's happening so fast now. I mean, just as you got used to hearing uh, that a certain thing was taking place, they're already coming up with a new thing. So much of this is causing our young people to question their sexual orientation. Today, the means used to persuade the masses that unacceptable behavior is now acceptable seems to be from our elected leaders, media moguls, creating TV series, modeling the next lifestyle that they deem acceptable, updated school curriculum, and liberal religious leaders publicizing their positional statements. I told you last week of a pastor of a very large church, probably one of the largest churches in the entire world, 
who was questioned on his stance and his church's stance on homosexuality, but yet couldn't answer the question. We know of other pastors, large churches, large churches that have been brought onto TV shows in front of the entire world. See, the increase of media and Twitter and Facebook and, and, and now the news can be sent right to you. You don't even have to go fishing for it. I mean, it, it, there was a day and age where you didn't know the news until 5 o'clock when the 5 o'clock news came on. You could go all day without knowing what had happened. And now we can get it sent right to us. Before you even wake up in the morning, you've already got a full news feed of what's, gonna, what's been happening overnight while you were sleeping. It comes right to you. I remember when 9-11 happened, I, I, was, I was in my orientation uh, at Bible school. I was going across the street, and there was a police officer that would help us cross the street. I, I live right across the street in the dorm. And I'm walking, and he would always listen to his radio in the morning, have the door, and he was talking about the bombing in 1993. And I just listened. I was just like, wow, that's interesting. I wonder why they're talking about that. What's the big deal? And went a full hour and a half of orientation before finally someone came out and said there have been uh, two jets that have gone into buildings in New York City. Uh, there is talk of it being a terrorist attack. Uh, and then they sent us home, and the first thing I did was turn on the news that was the only way i found out but now my son would know about it before me there's been an increase of this this stuff is happening faster than ever before he, he, he goes on to say, he says, what kindled this email? Well, last night while waiting for the new Jurassic World movie to begin, I was shocked to witness two commercials that introduced the new ABC family TV reality show called Becoming Us. It began running last Monday, and it is a reality show designed by a teenager to help other kids deal with their fathers becoming a woman on tv right now the dad wants to become a woman is it just me or does it not seem that there is an unleashed frenzy to bring the light to bring to the light and legitimize the hidden lifestyles of darkness than uh, that in years past was kept behind closed doors And, and don't we call it that coming out of the closet Some of your stuff ain't meant to come out of the closet. Keep it in the closet. Get help for it. Quit taking that stuff out of the closet and trying to wear it. That's what's happening here. This stuff isn't meant to come out. This stuff is meant that you go to someone that can help you spiritually change your problem because it is a problem. That is what it is. It is sin. It is a sickness and a disease of the mind and nothing less. And when you accept it as anything else, well, they're just struggling. You don't know the pain they're going through. We're all hurting. We've all got pain. So go to the right people, communicate it to the right people, and get help. Quit wearing it like this is the new lifestyle. And if one person would just step out and make the stance, then everybody else would too and realize it's okay. 
It's amazing. You, you, look on, you look on Facebook and you see people that are standing up for what's right and they're being condemned. Well, that's what Jesus said would happen. When you stand for what's right, you're going to be crucified. Of course, we all know all of this is directed toward discrediting God's kingdom in a way that distances us from thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's ways are being challenged in much the same way that Lucifer challenged God's ways when he spoke to Eve in the garden. Had Adam guarded the garden as instructed, the story of mankind would be so very different today. But he failed in his duty. I want you to know, guys, the church is to be taking on a position of guarding the garden. It is our job to guard and protect this world that we live in. That is why we are here. And when we allow these things to come in and creep in and allow them to go unhindered and do nothing about it, we are failing in our duty just as Adam failed in his duty. And people are eating of its fruit. As ambassadors for God, we have been commissioned to preach the word. We have been informed that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, uh, and so on by 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. We are admonished to follow uh, the Apostle Paul's example to preach all the counsel of God in Acts chapter 20. With all this said, if there ever was a time for the pulpit to impart God's counsel into husbands, it is today. If there was ever a time for pulpits to impart God's counsel into wives, it is today. If there was ever a time for pulpits to impart God's counsel into parents, it is today. If there was ever a time for pulpits to impart God's counsel into the youth, it is today. And if there was ever a time for the, the pulpit to impart God's counsel into its children, it is today. You see, when we abandon our role in the earth today, we are the very ones that can change what's around us. When we abandon the role of communicating on these subjects and shy away from answering them according to the world, I'm not going to give you my opinion. I'm not going to give you my idea. I'm not going to give you what I think about it. I'm going to tell you what my king thinks about it because he is the king. And one day you will bow before him and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. This is not a time for the church to shut down. This is not a time for the church to shy away. This is not a, ch- a time for the church to not open its mouth because of what may happen in the opposition and the persecution that may take place. These large churches and these pastors that are over these large churches, they have a lot to lose if they say one thing wrong. Got a lot of money to lose. Got a lot of people to lose. Got a lot of buildings to lose. Got a lot of land to lose. But I'm going to tell you right now, it would be worth it all to stand for the king and to lead a church that says we do not stand for such abomination. 
The reason why people are so confused on what is right and what is wrong is because they don't spend any time in the word. The truth is what's going to separate us. There is a lack of Bible reading. I'm talking disciplined Bible readers in the church today. There is a lack of Christians that will pick up this book and read it. Not just try to find things out and not just go to it when I'm hurting and I need a good scripture to help pick me up today. Or not just thumb through Facebook and, and save all our little pictures that have verses on them and all these little things. I mean, there are things that we think God said that he never said. There are things that we'll quote as the word that's not even in the word. Such things as the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. It's not even in the Bible. Go ahead and tell me where it's at then. Quoting silly garbage that we hear on TV or that we hear from somebody else that we heard one person say and we accept it as truth rather than going to the word. I'm going to tell you guys in the last days you will be nothing without being a disciplined studier of the word. Well, I don't know how to study. I don't know what to read. Read it. There's all kinds of stuff in there. Pick it up and read the book. I don't know where to start. Pick a place. Pick a spot. We give you Bible reading plans back here that tell you. It takes all the work and the guessing out of it. You just open the thing up. Today's June 18th. I'm going to read what June 18th says. Very simple. I'm not trying to be condescending. I'm not trying to be derogatory. I'm trying to help you understand the value of the Word of God. And we have Christians that do not want to value the Word today. Therefore, we don't know truth. Therefore, we compromise truth, and therefore, we look like the world, live like the world, act like the world, talk like the world, and accept what the world is doing, all in the name of, you got to love them. I told you that these would be messages where you'd have to be intentional about smiling. So go ahead and smile. We're going to have to practice our smiles. There is a need. For the church. We have to understand. The world is waiting for us. The world is groaning today guys. The world is hurting today guys. There are people that are dealing. With, 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 with mind struggles. That are blowing our minds. I mean what possesses. A 60 year old man. To come out and say. I've been wanting to be a man my entire life, and now I'm finally going to do it. What? Uh, uh, become a woman. What possesses your mind? What makes you want to do that? What? You are hurting. You know, they, they don't need someone to talk about their sin. They just, they just need someone to love them. Just so, I do love you. Quit making terrible decisions. Quit doing things that are wrong. Live for the king. Live for God. Do what God says. You need Jesus. You need Jesus more than you need a hug. You need Jesus more than you need someone to pat you on the back and say it's going to be okay. You need Jesus more than you need someone to say, look, we're all terrible sinners. We're all horrible. I can't say anything about you because I sin too. 
We need people that are going to point hurting people to Jesus. And that's you and I. The sons of God. You're not a son of God because you prayed a prayer. You're not a son of God because you went to church today. You're not a son of God because you opened your Bible one time. You are a son of God because you are led by the Spirit of God. If there is a need for anything in the world today, there is a need for Christians that will be led by His Spirit. There's a need. Until you arrive in your promised land, people will grope around looking for solutions in the wrong places. Until we step up as the church, you can expect the world to continue to go to the wrong things looking for a solution to their answer or to their problem. We have the answer, guys. We are the answer. The kingdom of God is the answer. For a hurting and dying world. And when we shy away. From taking that stance. And taking that position. We're taking away. The answer. We have all the answers. We are indispensable. To the health. And well being. Of our nations. The world simply. Cannot do without us. You know, we've probably made the statement, the church is the one thing holding the world together, right? Well, why don't we live like that? The, world, the church is holding the world together. God's people are the ones that are supposed to be guarding and protecting this world. This is our garden. We have the Spirit of God living inside of us. Governments can't set people free from oppression, pain, disappointment, and depression. Only God can give self-esteem when people have none. The government can pass bills, but only the great healer can mend a broken soul. We are God's messengers to this generation, called by God to save mankind with the message of the kingdom. I'm reading from a book of a man who is over in another country, on the other side of the world, that is facing persecution and facing opposition greater than you and I have ever known in a communist territory, but has understood his role in the kingdom of God to change the world around him. Christians have the answers. We are kingdom people. We know how this earth is supposed to work. We can bring people to the light. We bring problems to the surface in order to bring truth to change it. The only reason why I want to bring your problem out is because it's the very thing killing you. And if I can fix the problem, we can fix you. We've got to be a church that rises up. The church is full of movers and shakers. The church is full of movers and shakers. We sang the song. Everything changes. Everything changes when your kingdom comes. When your kingdom comes. Guys, I want to do the bridge.
of that song, Mountains Have to Move. This is who we are, God. See, we ought to be excited. I know that these messages are a little harder and a little deeper, but it's only to generate excitement that we have the answer for the world today. Mountains have to move. There's nothing that can stand in your way. Your personal problems pale in comparison to the fact that we are supposed to be changing the world around us. We serve a king that cannot be moved. We live in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. They're chopping heads off. They're being torn apart by wild animals. Still can't stop the kingdom. They're taking men and throwing them in fiery furnaces. And Jesus shows up in the middle of it. They kill them and they come back to life. They stone Paul to death. He gets up and goes back in and ministers to the very town that just killed him. I mean, what can they do to stop us? Don't be shaken. Don't be moved. God wants to do a work in this earth, and he's doing it through you and I. We are not spectators. We are not standbys. We're not in the grandstands just watching the world go to hell and we're just supposed to say, Jesus, hurry up and take us home. No, we are participators. We are in the earth to change it, to show them the light and say, there's a better way. There's another way. I have the answer. I can bring direction. God is not the author of confusion. I can bring hope to a hope to a hopeless and dying world. You're suffering and hurting, but I've got the answer. You're suffering, but I can pull you out. What can man do to me? Isn't that what Paul said? What can man do to me? Jesus understood this. You can't take me out until it's my time to go. And I lay my life down. You don't take it from me. Do we have some Christians that stand up with some boldness that say, You can't take my life until it's time for him to bring me home. I'm not done yet. I haven't finished my purpose. Look, they could have killed those disciples anytime they wanted to. They could have killed Peter whenever they wanted to. They could have killed Paul whenever they wanted to. They had every chance, every attempt. I mean, this man is influencing cities and nations from a prison cell. What's your excuse? church to rise up. It's time for the church to realize we are in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We are immovable. What can man do to me? Let's sing that. That bridge. Mountains have to move. Come on, stand up. Your kingdom kingdom is here. Fall down at your feet. They'll fall down at his feet. They'll fall down. But we declare, we declare mountains have to move. They can't stay in our way. Every chain is loose. God, we declare, we declare, we open our mouth and declare the kingdom of God is here. 
everyone will see. And they will fall down. They will bow down at His feet. Come on. church will rise up in boldness, in opposition of what the world can bring to us. There's nothing they can do. There's nothing they can bring against us that will stand. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. And as we march, as we advance, and as we increase, Father, I thank you in the midst of persecution, in the midst of opposition, we will thrive. We will be strengthened and we will drive on the kingdom power that you have given us. Father, we love you. We love you. We thank you that you have called us for such a great purpose and for such a time as this. And we give you all the glory. We give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.